So welcome to today's podcast. This is part two of a discussion with Robin Condon. And uh, Robin, for folks that haven't met her, is the Director of Wellbeing and Total Rewards at NP Power. Uh, today's topic is psychological safety in the workplace. And uh, in part one of our podcast, we, we get into sort of an introduction to the topic and talked about uh, what CSA standard really tried to deal with when it came to the topic. Uh, today we want to move into more the, uh, I think you might call it the application of the uh, standard to a workplace. But just before we do, uh, you'd sent me a, a PowerPoint presentation uh, and you talked about uh, the three-circle diagram, mm. which deals with uh, some other uh, information relative to the standard. When you try to explain to folks your three-circle diagram that I see you now have in front of you, what uh, explain to folks what that diagram illustrates. Yeah, so it's a diagram outlining physical safety and psychological safety and then a psychologically health and safety environment at the workplace. So physical safety are all those typical safety things that we think about, which is um, procedures, training, um, ergonomics, ladder safety, inspections, all those things. So that's one half of the safety equation. And today in 2023, we have to add on to that, which is the psychological safety of our workplace. And that would include the ability to speak up and the reason why speaking up is so important from a safety perspective is if employees don't feel safe speaking up on a small item, they'll probably not feel safe speaking up on a big item like stopping unsafe work. So that's kind of the linkage for me. The other one is um, feeling safe to report. So from a safety perspective, it's always important for employees to always, always report the incidents. And the reason why is we need to investigate and correct them. Well, if employees don't feel safe reporting, um, then those incidents will go un, un, uninvestigated, uncorrected, and are now a hazard for another employee. Um, asking and setting boundaries. We were just talking about boundaries while we were on the break. Um, being able to be yourself. Being respectful is another thing. So psychological safety is not saying whatever I feel like. It's about speaking up and being respectful and inclusive. Um, and then we bring it all together into a workplace that allows for total health and safety, so or total total wellness with the psychologically health and safety environment um, where we all get better together, we report, we learn, um, we include all of those on our workplace, we listen, and we're curious. Um, does that answer the question adequately? For yeah, you? it does. Yeah. You know, when I think back in my 30-some years in health and safety, uh, from a physical point of view, the physical safety, uh, that's always been a big, uh, big focus. Yeah. But when you look at the uh, psychosocial safety... Uh, not so much. Not so much. It's talked about in a way, for example, when you talk about uh, uh, reporting uh, or speaking up about uh, uh, situations that may be unsafe, or when you talk about reporting incidents that have happened, people in, in physical safety have talked about those, but I think in a lot of cases, they haven't known how to do it. They really they know, yes, that our staff need to report hazards. Mm -hmm. They know that our staff should be reporting incidents, close calls, whatever you want to call them. But how do we get people to do that? So I guess that question I would put to you then is how do you get people, if you're, you're talking to a group of, of employees and a group of employers, how do you get people to report I, those I, things? I, I think it's two phases. One is you, you need to ask them to report and explain what that reporting means. Um, and I'm going to use the example of a new dad. So in this 
example, we have a new father. He's maybe been up a lot with the new baby over a period of time, and he's really not totally fit for work because <laughs> he's probably sleep deprived. And we want to make sure that 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 father, that employee, feels that he can come to the workplace and say, you know what, I'm just not I'm just not there today. I'm, my head's not in the game. I'm totally exhausted. I'm going to have to, you know, not do work that's going to be safety sensitive today. So that's that's all part of having a psychologically safe environment that accepts that there are new dads, there are new moms. Um, and we have bleeding between the workplace and the, and the home because um, I'm sure that uh, sometimes the workplace bleeds into the home too and we need to have appropriate boundaries. But I think the other part of the reporting is doing something about it. If employees report and report and report, nobody ever fixes the hole in the floor or the grade or whatever, employees will stop because they don't see any point. So there's two pieces to reporting. One is one piece is on the employee to report and the other piece is on leadership to go fix, look into, investigate and correct what the employees reported to ensure that you you have trust in that system. Okay. And be power. Um, so you now have this new CSA standard it's an optional standard, as you mentioned. Uh, when you go to the higher ups at MB Power, how do you how did you go about to sell them on the concepts in the standard? Yeah, so at MB Power, we already have a mature. A lot of these programs are mature at MB Power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've had respectful uh, workplace policies, training, awareness, practices, and procedures for years. Uh, so that's well embedded. It's not something I had to sell. It was probably there before I got there. Um, when it comes to uh, the mindfulness and the mental piece and EFAP and employee and family assistance programs, those are very mature as well. Um, the other piece is diversity and inclusion. We've had uh, diversity and inclusion plans and programs for a number of years. So we don't have at MB Power a document that I could pull off the wall and say, here's how we implemented a psychologically mm-hmm. safe environment. But we have elements of this that are mature within MB Power, um, you know, employee surveys and requesting feedback from employees, involving them in decision-making regarding our health programs. So we have um, a committee of employees that inform us on our health programs every year. So they come in in, right now, actually in January and February, and they start telling us what would be good programming. So that's the voice that they have to help influence the programs that we're going to offer in the next fiscal year. Um, So we, we have a lot of those, and I wouldn't say I had to sell any of them, and a lot of them were already in place. So I would say that we're at the point where we can certainly improve, we can always get better, um, and we can probably tie it all together in a way that you can look at it and go there, that point at it and say that's psychological safety. When I would say that we have very open conversations, employees can ask us anything, um, and we have transparency in the dialogue and share where we can. You know, there's always stuff you can't share, I, I assume. But um, so I, I can't say that we ever had to. But a number of years ago, probably in 2006, NB Power started on that journey of 40, 40 10, 50, mm-hmm. which I know Dr. Shelley Parker has been here to talk to you about. So also during those years, we invested a lot of time, money, and effort into mental health programs and destigmatizing mental health. So I would say that we had very fertile ground, um, and we're not there yet, but I would say that we're on that journey. And I would say it's a journey and not a destination. 
because the ball keeps changing. So, you know, if I looked at us and put us in three years ago, I would say we were extremely advanced. And now post-COVID, you look at it and go, well, we have some things we could tweak. And, you know, five years from now, there may be a new thing that we're looking at. Maybe it's employee boundaries. or um, So the destination changes, and you never quite get there. Now, I'm sure there are people listening to our podcast that would say, look, yeah, great for Robin to talk about uh, a workplace like NV Power. They're big. They have all kinds of programs in place. As you just mentioned, you're really at the advanced stage. If someone were to hire you to go into a company that is certainly not at that stage and maybe at the beginning stage, yeah, how what kind of approach would you use to to start and build on? How would you build a program to do that, to, yeah. to build a psychologically safe workplace? Yeah, and I would say that our programs are all, a lot of the things I've described are employee input, right? So mm-hmm. they don't cost anything. Yeah. Um, you know, the employees say, if we walked more, we'd be healthier. So what I think I would start out doing is listening to the employees. And I would even consider doing an anonymous survey about what are the issues. Because if you're in an, envir- in an environment where this has not been topical, it's it's totally new, and there's distrust, um, you may need to start with gathering data confidentially so that you understand what the problems are. Um, I would also engage employees on those risk factors. What are the risk factors in your workplace? Do you work with the public? Is it high demand, um, fast pace? Are there conflicts in the workplace? Most people will know that. Um, What do investigations from safety tell us? Are there issues uh, where somebody maybe said, I didn't want to do that work and and they didn't feel empowered to really bring it up to their supervisor. So I would start with data collection. I would start with assessment. I would start with engaging employees and asking the questions, possibly getting a survey. And then after I had all that information, I would probably create an employee leadership advisory committee where they would continually help you build that program. And I would probably go at it in a staged approach and start with your most important things first. So if it's respect, I'm just going to pick on respect. But mm-hmm. if employees say, I don't feel respected, then I would start with implementation of what is respect? What does it look like? What does it feel like? How would how would I know if somebody was being disrespectful? Maybe it's some education and awareness. And then maybe once you've solved that issue, you go on to the next issue. And maybe that issue is, you know, I can never get away from work. I, I You okay. know, my boss is telling me to do things at 9 o'clock at night. Well, then we need to tackle that workload demand um, to understand, well, how can we do that work differently? Um, because it won't be easy. I don't think these are always easy. And I think in environments where there's not a lot of open communication and dialogue, just getting employees to open up is going to be very, very challenging. And you'll have to show rather than say what it is you're trying to do. Good answer. Uh, I've worked in organizations that have been at that point. And uh, it's a challenge to, you know, you talk about questionnaires to, to find out what people are thinking and so on. And even at that point, uh, you know, I've heard people say, ah, very suspicious of any questionnaire that's being sent out. What's the real intent behind that questionnaire? You may know why you want to send it out. Yeah. But to the employee who's very negative, then they may look at that and say, yeah, there's there's something behind this they're not telling us. So they're very suspicious. So as you said, it's, it's a process that's going to take time. Yeah, your, your first go at it, you may get very little feedback. Yeah. And then maybe the second go, if you've done a few things in that year, you may get more feedback. And then at the third go, you'll get more feedback. Okay. Um, that's why I think it's back to the journey. Um, hmm. 
I, I, I don't think you can just take something in and, and, and implement it. I think it's, it's really going to be focused on that workplace. What are your issues? What are your hazards? What are your risks for employees? And then get some low-hanging fruit, show them, you know, give employees some of the things they've identified, and then build the program from there. Now, to a lot of people who have been saying, yeah, okay, I can understand physical safety elements, this psychological safety stuff is kind of uh, loosey-goosey, like, uh, is it really going to pay off for me? They're going to be very skeptical. How would you how would you respond to them, or how would you deal with them? Because there are still a lot of people out there who, when it, when it comes to the psychological aspect, I don't think they feel as comfortable with it as they do with the old-fashioned, uh, let's talk about lockout, or let's talk about confined spaces. Yeah. I, uh, and I think people can get their head around the physical safety easier, yeah, too. They, they know what a ladder looks like. They know yeah. what a lock and tag out you know, apparatus looks like. And the psychological one is harder because it takes a longer investment, but it's also cheaper. You don't have to buy a lockout tag out system to do psychological safety. Sure. You don't have to buy um, a software program to um, keep track of your inspections. You don't have to purchase the latest anything when it comes to psychological safety. So what I would say to workplaces that are struggling with that is you don't have anything to lose because the investment's very low. It's really about engaging the employees and understanding what your risks are. And the benefits are high uh, when we talk about some of the benefits you'll get. You know, increased employee engagement, better productivity and output, um, you know, better brand reputation. So there's a lot of positives there um, on what that could be. And then if I think of safety-sensitive environments, and I, I think of nursing, if things are going underreported, then you don't really know what the safety implications are because maybe... Maybe you don't know what your med error rate is, or maybe you don't know, you know, employee or patient fall rates are because they're being underreported because the, the people that work in your system don't trust you and they don't want you to know because you blame. So I, I think building trust can take a long time, but it doesn't cost money. I think building a psychological safe environment may take a long time, but it doesn't cost a lot of money. And the investment is all personal time. And I know how expensive some safety systems can be to purchase and implement. And then you have to maintain them too, right? So I would say decent payoff, low investment. Now, I want to share a short story with you and then get your reaction and, and comment. Uh, when I was at WorkSafe a number of years ago, we held a focus group in Moncton. And uh, myself and my boss were sitting behind the glass watching the focus group, listening to the comments. And the facilitator had a group of about 10 people from various industries in Moncton, from uh, the emergency room at the uh, Georges Dumont, uh, the head nurse, from uh, seafood plants, industrial locations, and so on. And the facilitators thought that she would start off by asking a very basic question is, do you have hazards in your workplace? Thought that would sort of give folks a chance to warm up. So she asked that question first to the lady who was a uh, head of the emergency room at the Georges Dumont. And the lady looked at the facilitator, and this was her response. She said, oh, no, we don't have any hazards in our workplace. If you want to talk about hazards in the workplace, this gentleman sitting beside me from Petrol Seafood, you need to talk to him. Now, I heard that comment, and I guess I almost, put it bluntly, fell off my chair. And I'm thinking, whoa, hazards in a workplace, an emergency room on a Friday night, people coming and going and all the things. And here she's sitting and saying, well, we don't have hazards. 
and and my boss sitting beside me, basically same kind of reaction. And we sat there for a long time and thought about that comment. And, and we kept thinking about, well, why'd she say that? But, you know, the only conclusion we would come to, could come to was that all of her, not all of it, but probably 90% of the training she had had over the years had all been focused on patient care. And, you know, probably she had had very little training in relation to her physical and psychological health and safety. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you're hitting the nail on the head when it comes to the any of the providers of those services it's all patient focus. It's all customer focus. Yeah. Um, and if we only focus on the customer, and I'm not saying the customer isn't important. They're, they're the reason why we exist. Um, but you can't serve the customer well if you're not well yourself. And I think about, you know, when you get on the airplane and they say, and I remember my children, I have three children, and I flew with them quite frequently. And I got on an airplane one time and I had my three little children with me and we were seated apart. And the stewardess came up to me and said, I'm sorry, you, you're going to have to get off the plane. And I'm like, come again? And she said, you're going to have to get off the plane because you won't be able to put on their masks because there's one of you and three of them and you're outnumbered. So I went up and down the aisles looking for someone to look after one of my kids. I said, will you put an oxygen mask on my child? And they said, yes, they will. I said, so I'm going to fly. But um, they hadn't told me this when they sold me it, even though they knew the ages of the children. But it's, it comes back to that you've got to put on your oxygen mask first You've got to be in the best position possible in order to serve your clients and customers. And if not, you're only half serving them anyway. So we really need to take that caring relationship, that customer relationship, and turn it around and say, I can only be as good to you as I am to myself. I can only be as kind to you as I can to myself. And we need to think about it in those terms. Now, for the healthcare professionals, that hopefully we'll get a few of them listening over time, uh, do you think we're doing enough for the people working in healthcare today when it comes to the psychological aspect? We hear so much on the other end of the system and, and the problems in our healthcare system. Do you think a lot of it, though, ties back? And there's certainly a lot of problems we're not offering enough from a psychological support yeah. for, for healthcare folks. I haven't worked in healthcare in 10 years. So about 12 years ago or 10 years mm -hmm. ago, I worked in Emerge, and that's the last bedside nursing that I did. And this past year, I had to be in Emerge a couple of times. Um, I had... I had surgery and had some complications and it was a Friday night and I hadn't been in an ER in eight or nine years and I could not believe the volume of work. Um, I could not believe the complication of the work. Um, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe a lot of things. Like there's a lot of policies there that I just went, wow, these ladies are busy men. These women and men are working very hard. So I can't comment on what they're getting for support because I don't know. I, I don't work mm -hmm. there. Um, but I know the complexity of the work they were dealing with because I could see it. Any, any of the patients in the room could see it. And I just, you know, we need to do more for frontline workers that are working with the public that we depend on to provide essential services, whether those services are power, whether those services are healthcare, whether those services are education. But our frontline workers are at the delivery point of everything that we're doing. And if we can't take care of them, it speaks very highly to the society that we're in. So I can't comment on what support they get because I don't know, mm. but I would like to make sure that they get, I, I would love them to have mm. the support they need to be the But when they're healthy. working 55, 60 hours that's, a week, doesn't leave a whole lot of time for support. Yeah, if that's what they're working on, yeah. I, I can only imagine what their hours yeah. must be. But uh, I uh, like the way you talk about 
uh, frontline people. So much of the time we forget about the frontline people uh, and, and the ones that are delivering the service to the public and the stresses that they, they get put under, whether it's in your case, your linemen uh, working during storms, even people working in retail environments. Uh, we're seeing so many people uh, exposed to situations involving violence, just frustrated customers with stressed out people. And uh, it's psychologically, we're not sometimes giving those people a lot of support. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I feel for frontline, and I'm sure education is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all have to think about what supports are in service for our frontline workers, and delivery. Who, who's delivering our service? Because those are our brands out there. So, you've been in this area of psychological health and safety, trying to grow it at MB Power. Any specific lessons you've learned along the way that you'd share with folks? Yeah, don't make assumptions. Um, And I think it comes down to that break the golden rule because you cannot go in with the assumption of, well, this is what I think is psychologically safe because you don't really know. Um, So I think it's avoid assumptions. um, Let people just tell you what, what it is or what it might be for them. And I would say the other thing is, um, you know, human resources has to be on that team. If you're, if you're growing that, a lot of our programs are through human resources. Um, you know, some of the respect and some of the other programs that we have development. Um, one of the best antidotes to, um, a non-psychologically safe environment is ensuring employees and your people are getting training development. Um, that's one of the antidotes that it's very engaging to ensure people are being trained because it's an investment in them. So I would say, make sure you're developing and training your employees looking inside. So I was at a, I was doing a benchmarking, um, exercise not long ago with another organization and they were talking about looking internally. We need to look internally more. We need to advance from internal, um, because they were saying developing our own people saves us money and bring less people in from outside and make sure our own people get that developmental opportunity. And I think, you know, many organizations do it, but some organizations are better than others. So what homegrown wonderfulness do you have that you're going to put in your own program? And what is your program going to look like? It shouldn't look like someone else's. It shouldn't look like, you know, Safety Services New Brunswick's program, or it shouldn't look like Emmy Powers' program. What is your program going to look like? So I think it's about what do you need? And go in small steps, like start with, really good training on respect and then maybe grow it from there soft skills organizations have been really good over the years when i say really good some of them could be better but they've been fairly good as far as dealing with the the lockout and the confined space your technical topics do you think we probably as a society doing enough with those soft type topics like you're just mentioning should we be doing more soft topic education of our workers training of our workers I think most organizations should offer some interpersonal skills training, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And um, some some companies are really good at this. I know that uh, our partner IBW would offer a lot of really awesome courses on, um, you know, interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. I, I know I took them when I was in IBW. So it might not even be the workplace. Um, our workplace also has great management tools and and good interpersonal skills training but maybe it's not your employer maybe you're in a trade union and maybe your trade union has great programs like that um so if you are in a trade go back to your trade union and see what's available because some of them have syllabuses that include soft skill training now to close off if you had unlimited resources 
and the authority to make any kind of changes you wanted, uh, whether it's at MB Power or in our society in general, what kind of things would you would you do to help change our society even as far as making it more psychologically uh, compatible and safe for workers? So I think the first one is, um, I'm going to be very fundamental, but covering mental health services at a wider degree than we do today. Um, mental health services are commonly under some employee's benefit program if you have benefits. Um, if you don't have benefits, you're paying out of pocket. Um, so even when you run into trouble, getting the services are costly mm-hmm. if you can get them. Um, so that might be a magic wand solution. And the other one would be, I think, allowing people to be who they are in the workplace and accepting them for who they are and not trying to make them fit the mold of your company, whatever that might be. So that's really in the diversity and inclusion and, and making sure that you're you're attractive to multiple groups. Uh, you and I started out talking about young people before we ever started mm-hmm. this. And what does inclusion look like for a 25-year-old? Because mm-hmm. I can only tell you what it looks like for me. But I think we have to understand what that looks like for young employees because they will be running the world in the next few years. And what does it look like for them? So I think the other magic wand would be how do we build the workforce that young people would be attracted to, like my daughter? Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, I'd like to also thank uh, our executive producer, Mark Degg, who sits in the background here, provides our technical assistance. Uh, we'd also like to hear from folks listening to our podcast. If you have a comment or a suggestion for a speaker, please uh, send them off to us. You can email them to us at podcast at ssnb.ca. So for today, thank you very much, Robin, for coming in. And uh, thank you, and uh, we'll look forward to our next podcast. Thank you both. It's been a pleasure.